Hi, everyone. This is the Yale University Press podcast. I'm Michael Hoke. Prince once told us not to hate him because he's fabulous. So what does it mean to be fabulous? Is it style, a political statement, something else? I'm joined today by Madison Moore, a cultural critic, DJ, creative director, and author of a new book, Fabulous, The Rise of the Beautiful Eccentric. Madison, nice to have you on. Hey, yeah, good good to chat with you. So... Let's start with the idea of being fabulous. Uh, (laughs) Most people see someone who is fabulous and recognize the sort of outward appearance of it. Um, But what goes on beneath the surface of someone who is fabulous? Yeah, you know, it's um, it's a great question. And I think that one of the things that uh, I try to do in the book is to say that, um, you know, we think we can think that fabulousness or something fabulous might be something like diamonds or sequins or some kind of material quality. And I do want to claim that as an, you know, claim fabulousness as like an aesthetic space. But really, for me, it actually is about what's going on underneath the surface. So on the one hand, I think that it comes from a place of, um, of trauma. Um, it's a way that brown, black, queer, minoritized people use aesthetics to make themselves heard um, in a world that says they shouldn't exist, um, that never had them in mind in the first place. And what I like to say is it's actually as simple as, um, you know, thinking about what kind of bodies can go get a sandwich. Um, You know, uh, certain kind of bodies can walk at lunch break and to go to Willoughby's or whatever and just grab a sandwich without being bothered. But others, who are maybe more spectacular or more visible or over the top um, might be met and are often met with harassment, verbal or physical, um, or other kinds of traumas that they have to take with them every day. So for me, it's it's important to say that fabulousness is both of those things, that it's both an aesthetic quality and also this um, kind of resistance to norms um, and as a way of saying, like, I'm going to be here anyway, even though you think I shouldn't be. Yeah, and what... What kind of uh, pressure is there around uh, fabulousness? Um, how do you mean? Well, I mean, for example, you know, maybe there are some days where you don't feel as fabulous or, um, or times you, you might not feel as fabulous. Or as you're mentioning, this sort of what kind of bodies can go to certain places. Um, is there, is there a, a sort of a, a pressure put on um, either by yourself um, or by an external source uh, in society. Well, I would say that I mean what I'm what I'm hearing is um, really something something about safety, um, and so there are instances, um, a lot of instances where people who might express themselves through fashion in one way on Monday or Tuesday or even Wednesday might be so exhausted by the harassment and treatment they got by Thursday or Friday that they just wear sweats or they just kind of don't even go outside because they can't bother to be, you know, harassed again. And, you know, um, it's the thing of like, you know, relying on something like safe clothes. I mean, what, what is safety anyway, right? Um, and so relying on like safe clothing 
just to be able to circulate and move down the street can be harmful because you know that you're suppressing yourself and you know you're just, you know, putting pressing mute so that you can fit in or so that you can not be bothered. And I think that that's, that can be kind of damaging. And are there are there pressures within the smaller community to say, especially with things like social media, do you ever feel that there's a sense of pressure um, to sort of maintain, um, you know, a level of fabulousness or to maintain a certain um, aesthetic um, or mm-hmm. is it is it is it okay uh, to sort of, as you say, you feel you've you've taken too much uh, one week and you sort of have to, to to shut down a little bit? You definitely need to shut down. I mean, everybody needs to put themselves and their mental health and their kind of safety first. I do think that there is um, definitely also a way that queer bodies, trans bodies, um, you know, as Alok mentions in the interview in the book. Um, that, you know, these kinds of bodies are supposed to exist on a stage. So we're safest on a stage and we're safest when we're highly visible um, or like at a, at a distance. Um, and, you know, I, I think that on social media, we, you know, we might use hashtags like fabulous. And I know that I'm a part of certain groups um, on Facebook and on, on Instagram where um, folks will actually be like, hey, I'm feeling down today. I'm going to take, let's, let's do a selfie thread. So then you'll have this thread of like queer people taking selfies of them and they're like most sickening looks being like, yes, you know, like, you know, get into it. And so I don't want to, I mean, definitely there's, I'm definitely there's pressures, um, both from the outside. Um, and then even when you're expected maybe to like live up to a certain thing. But I would stress that the most important is, you know, being able to clock out and um, take care of yourself if you need to. Um, those days when you feel like you can't anymore or those days where you don't have the, you know, the energy to do so. Um, but actually, I, I also think that it's, you know, it's such a, it's, I always get such a joy when I see people um, who are expressing themselves, you know, because for me, it's, it's about what I've learned in, the, in writing and doing the book is that it's actually um, a turning point. So, you know, in my interviews, there are so many people who tell stories about how they used to try to fit in and they did, you know, dress or behave this way just to be unbothered. But then they were basically like, you know, F that. I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm I'm popping out. You know, I'm going to do me now. And you have to get into it or not, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, like, that's what is so interesting about fabulousness as an aesthetic quality um, that is that has a home in queer and marginalized communities. And you, uh, you write in the book that, uh, fabulous is, is sort of a, a cultural criticism. Um, what do you see it yeah. a, as a criticism of? It's a criticism of, uh, the norms that, um, oppress us all every day. So when you see someone who is, you know, living their best life, um, for me, they are actually carrying a template or blueprint or even um, maybe even an escape hatch um, out of the here and now into another place that is colorful and vibrant and exciting. Um, I think that fabulousness is a critique of, as I was saying, the norms that oppress us um, every day. And um, fabulous people offer a way out. I think they are portals to other dimensions. 
Yeah, and this idea of living your your best life. What what do you think it says about society as a whole that oftentimes people who are living their best life it sort of rubs people the wrong way or it or it or it's, you know, seen as something to be hammered down. What what does that say about society, do you think? Yeah, I mean that's that's really I mean that's the that's the that's the thing, right? I mean, I think that the criticism is of society. Like fabulous aren't fabulous people aren't the problem. Society is the problem. <laughs> like, um, so, um, you know, uh, because we're not, you know, or fabulous people aren't the ones who, you know, are catcalling other people. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's society who says, that, oh, I don't like how you're dressed, so I'm going to, like, let you know that. And I'm going to, like, take the time to, like, leave a comment on your Instagram because I don't like how you look. That's really, that's ridiculous. Like, how, what, what, what it's, you know, it's, um, it's fabric, it's material, it's makeup, it's shoes. How does this have anything to do with what you're going to have for dinner tonight? How <laughs> is this body have anything to do with you? It doesn't actually. So I think that um, that's why I, you know, mentioned earlier sort of the turning point that folks had when they kind of threw in the towel and stopped, you know, trying to fit in. Um, so I think that, you know, some people ask me if, if this book will like make them fabulous. And I don't think it's about that, but I think that what, what I hope can happen um, and, and, and it has been happening already in, uh, in some ways um, on my social media and people have sent me messages um, where people realize the ways in which they're actually, we're all suppressing ourselves and ways that they might actually try to unhinge that and set themselves free a bit or, you know, readjust, um, their daily practices or, you know, just reevaluate what's going on so they don't feel that sense of burden. It's a burden to fit in. And do you find, uh, speaking of social media, do you find social media to be conducive to having these kind of conversations? Is it easier or is it harder to do this now now that we're so, that social media is so prevalent? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, it's, I think it's a tough question, you know, because on the one hand, social media is super valuable because, um, you know, like, uh, you know, you have this kind of visibility, but visibility is also a trap, right? I mean, 10,000 Instagram followers or 50,000 or whatever, 100,000 doesn't pay your rent necessarily. But I think for me, what's most important is um, the sense of community that you can build. And as with any technology, things can be used for good and evil or bad. So, um, but what I, so what I, I'm, you know, I'm sort of a, you know, maybe a bit, you kind of utopian thinker in the vein of um, Jose Munoz. So I am always interested in like possibilities and um, as well as the contingencies, you know? So for me, um, it's that sense of community. I mean, I had someone send me a, send me a series of voice memos the other day because they heard about the book. This is someone that I don't know. Um, and they, they found me on Facebook, sent me a series of voice memos and they were like, Hey, I need help. I like, um, I want to be more like like this, but I'm afraid to because, you know, the politics around desire when you're sort of a gay uh, male or even a gay male of color, you know, um, what's going to happen to me if I start wearing lipstick? Or what's going to happen to me if I start expressing myself this way? I really want to do it, but I'm terrified. What what should I do? And that was a real series of messages and a conversation that I've been having with someone. And I think that this is like precisely the point of the doors that social media opens up um of course it all it can also be used for evil so it can also be used for like you know negative comments and trolls and all that kind of stuff (laughs) um 
but I think that what it makes possible is community, you know, like I've also sent um, some selfies on some of these like QT, Pac, Beyond, you know, queer trans people of color, Facebook groups joining the thread. And it's nice to see that sense of community. So at least, you know, you're not alone. I didn't have that when I was growing up, you know, when I was coming into my kind of queerness, um, there's a magazine called uh, XY and I, um, did it at borders when borders was still a thing and it was um it was just it wasn't even it was just like uh it wasn't even like porn or something it was just like literally a teenage magazine for like gay teenagers to like be like hey here's like some cool stuff we might think we think you might like here's some you know whatever like things that would be totally you know innocuous in like a teen vogue or something like that um but this magazine was like not only was it on the porn shelf, so like way at the top <laughs> of like the bookshelf. And if you can imagine my like sort of 13 or 15 year old self, not quite tall enough to reach up there. So then having to get the stool to reach <laughs> into the porn aisle to get this magazine, you know, right. that's now also got like the black porn plastic on the cover, you know, I'm like, Oh my God. So <laughs> like, it's, you know, so like I, that's kind of how I came up and I don't know, I, I can't imagine what it must be like to now be 15 or so and have maybe a vehicle like RuPaul's Drag Race, you know, mm-hmm. or to have a vehicle like YouTube or to have a vehicle like Instagram. You can just like follow and then like find this whole world, um, you know? And, and I say all of this realizing the dangers and the pitfalls of social media. So I don't want to valorize it too much, but I am saying that, that I, that it's just, it's a different way of connecting with others. I mean, I felt alone and had to kind of reach out in other ways maybe even old school ways, you know, whereas now it's like instant, boom, there it is. So, And when somebody reaches out to you like that, um, how do you respond? Do you feel sort of a pressure to, to, to uh-huh. sort of guide somebody? Um, or do you uh-huh. feel like this is a sort of, this is a, a, a moment where we can talk this through and, and kind of come, you know, have, have a sense of safety in, in, a, in a group? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know, I think it's both of those. Um, I mean, I I entered the sort of academic profession because I like I am I like research and teaching, but I also like mentoring, and I, I sort of um, I like the idea of being able to, um, if I can, like give back and help people on their journeys. Um, which is, I mean, I figured out a lot of stuff on my own, um, and so what it would have been like to have had someone else there for me to do that or to ask questions or so. Um, So, and this is something that I've actually had not, not only with sort of um, with fabulous with the book, but also like since I've been writing, you know, for more than a decade now online about like black queerness and sexuality and kind of popular culture and race and all these things. And people email me these kind of questions all the time. Um, and I do take the time to respond because I think it's important. You know, I had someone email me. They were like, just around when Ferguson was happening, they were like, um, I don't feel desirable as a black gay man in the United States. And, I'll, and now I also don't feel safe as a black gay man in the United States. And I want to move to London. What do you think? Hmm. You know, and I you, mean, that's a, he- that's a heavy thing. <laughs> and you grew up in, in Ferguson. I did. Yeah. Yeah. And... That, I mean, that brings up an interesting question of, you know, what, how do race and class play into the idea of being fabulous? Mm-hmm. 
Well, I think one thing that I really want to stress is that for me, fabulousness um, is not about money. It's about ideas and creativity and ingenuity and genius and being able to create something with what you have, um, having that vision to do so. Um, so, you know, when I was doing my dissertation work, you know, I was interested in all these kind of concepts, you know, glamour, iconicity, you know, fabulousness, all these things. And I found that so much of the literature on glamour was precisely about like, you know, designer labels and Hollywood and like, you know, Christian Dior and like all that kind of stuff. And I was like, I, of course, like I, I love fashion and I love watching those fat, like the shows and everything, but it's really more sort of like, I don't know, feasting for the eyes. You know, I don't buy designer clothes. I don't have the resources to do that kind of stuff. And I don't actually care about that. You know, I can make it work in any way with anything and I do every day or whenever, you know? <laughs> so, um, and oftentimes those things are inspirational. So you see them and they can inspire, Oh, I want to maybe try this or try it, try something like this, you know, try it that way. Um, and so that's sort of the class piece. Um, for me, the race piece really has to do, and I'm here, I'm kind of really inspired by, you know, folks like um, Jose Munoz and um, Robin DG Kelly, who are all thinking about, possibility and so acknowledging the fact that like black and brown bodies live under duress and in the state of emergency every day so taking that as like the baseline so then how do you take it up a notch and think about how do they how do these bodies um exist and survive and thrive despite the sense the state of emergency that they exist in you know so um for me when i think about fabulousness it's not that i want to say that people who are not um you know, marginalized cannot be fabulous at all, period, or so. Uh, but I'm less interested in that. I'm more interested in folks who have something to say and do it with the resources that they have available to them. Yeah, and um, I'm curious to hear, because you, you obviously, you grew up in the U.S., you now live in uh, the U.K., in Berlin, I believe, um, do you see some of these issues that you're talking about are they purely U.S. or are these sort of global issues that you see no matter where you go? So um, what's interesting is that, you know, as I was finishing Yale and um, moving to the U.K., um, you know, I had my dissertation and I was like working on the book, but it actually was in moving to Europe that I really kind of like was able to solidify what the book was and like my kind of my argument and kind of thinking around fabulousness. Part of that might be time, you know, that like you've just come from a dissertation, your brain is kind of like, you know, you <laughs> need time to like get your juices back, get get the piston firing again. Um, but also I think it's that I was in certain communities um, or I'm in certain communities in London and in Berlin um, where I just got to see stuff real time and like right before my eyes. You know what I mean? So, um, and as I'm someone who, you know, I grew up working class. So um, for me, it's like very important to write a book that is accessible to people and that, you know, might have some impact on their daily lives um, and might inspire them or get them to think newly about how they circulate or how others circulate around them. Um, and so, yeah, I think that just, Moving to London was massive in in kind of the argument in the book as it is today. Um, and that just has to do with, as I said, 
circulating. I mean, going to Vogue balls in Paris, you know, going to Vogue balls in Berlin, meeting people in London, you know, um, working with different artists um, and just living <laughs> and trying to live my best life. And I think that's how I was able to, yeah, arrive at this kind of space. Um, I do think, you know, that fabulousness is not something that's unique to like London or the UK or the US only. There's something that we like, that humans like about the surface and like sort of delicious surfaces, you know? Um, and, you know, this is, I remember when I was in school reading this um, critic called Virginia Postural, who was all about thinking about, you know, the surface. And we are visual creatures. You know, we like, as I said, delicious surfaces. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to, th I wanted to kind of like think about the surface in a way, but then also like be actually kind of critical and kind of make it more like robust in terms of how it actually impacts people's everyday life. And going and going back to this idea of, you know, when you were a teenager, not necessarily having um, access to some of the things that people may have access to now um, in the book, you you write about prints. Um, what did mm -hmm. what did prints mean to you? Yeah, I mean, you know, Prince was um, I guess he was he was sort of a guide in a lot of ways. Right. Um Prince, but also Michael Jackson and also Lenny Kravitz. I mean, these were like three black men who, I mean, there was a period where Lenny Kravitz, like he had like, he had a blowout, you know, he had like, straight hair, <laughs> mm -hmm. he, had, like, a, he had like a purse and heels. Okay, mm -hmm. cute. Okay, cute. You know, um, I was like, okay, nice. You know, and for Prince, for me, it was always like, how is this person who is like so obviously queer, like visually or so, able to like still be so famous and still everyone in my family absolutely loves him, but somehow <laughs> hates gay people, you know, right. but you know, this, these contradictions. And I was like, how, do, how does this work? So I think for me, he really enabled me to, um, yeah, throw caution to the wind and express myself the way that I want to, which doesn't come, you know, easy, right? Because it means that, I mean, you get called faggot on the streets mm -hmm. or you get harassed in other ways. Um, but I mean, if I'm going to be harassed, I might as well look great. <laughs> right. And yeah, I mean, you know? what, what do you say to someone who maybe sees somebody walking down the street dressed in a very fabulous way and thinks to themselves, you know, wow, that person is just, you know, they're, they're living their best life. They're out there doing it it must be so mm -hmm. nice to be able to live that way. And, mm -hmm. you know, the flip side of that is what you're saying here, that you get called things and you get harassed. Um, what, what would you say to people who think like this is this kind of carefree lifestyle? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's why, I mean, that's sort of the thing, right? I mean, I think that culture is interested um, only in, or in, you know, in some ways culture or certain vehicles of culture are only interested in like, queer lives and livelihood and trans lives and livelihood when there's like a narrative of success. Yeah. So you're doing well, we can talk about it now. We love success You're doing well, stories. you're successful. We love success stories, right? So you overcome this kind of thing. And um, <clears throat> what I would say is that um, fabulousness, because it's fed by so many traumas and years of trauma and even 
you know, like I said, you might on Monday and Tuesday be in your best moments, but then you might not go out at all the rest of the week mm-hmm. because you can't deal with it. Or you might dress down or you might whatever, do whatever you, whatever it is, you know, to cope with everyday life. I would remind people again about the sandwich thing, you know, like it actually isn't their best life. It looks like, it looks that way. In some ways it also functions, you know, as a, as an armor or a shield, you know, like sometimes when I, if I wear something sequiny, I love sequins. Um, <laughs> I don't actually want to be noticed. I don't want to be looked at, mm-hmm. which sounds contradictory because I'm wearing like, I've got like, you know, sequins on. <laughs> right. um, but uh, it's for it's for me. It's because I like this piece and I want to wear this mm-hmm. and I want to just wear it without necessarily mm-hmm. being talked to about it, you know, necessarily, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, I mean, it's sort of like you put on jeans and a t-shirt. You're not necessarily trying to make a statement. You just want to wear jeans and a t-shirt. It's the same thing. You want yeah. to wear sequins. It's not a statement necessarily. It's just, this is what I want to wear today. Yeah. 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 Although it is a statement. Um, mm-hmm. So fashion, sta- like, so when we get dressed in the morning, we're not just putting on clothes. Um, we're always putting on images and messages. I mean, you know, think about the uh, kind of, performance photography of Cindy Sherman, you know, she's putting on countless images mm-hmm. in these, you know, or countless bodies through clothes and through styling and, and kind of fashion in her images. So, um, yeah, we, we are actually sending messages when we put on jeans and a t-shirt and that message might be, I don't care about fashion or also I want to be safe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I think that like one of the, also one of the points that I am sort of making in the book is it's really difficult because, because as I said, we like, um, we are visual people. We like delicious imagery. It's hard to opt out of the fashion system. Um, everyone, whether you know it or not or want to or not, is like um, performing an image when you circulate. The book is fabulous, The Rise of the Beautiful Eccentric. Madison, thank you uh, for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. That does it for this week's episode. You can find more at yalebooks.yale.edu or on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or your favorite app. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating.